0: It's a better Monday than normal, I'd say, because Syracuse victory uses, Monday. They're coming off a 38-point win. What a game against BC! We're going to recap it. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use our promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Ty, this is a fun one today. Fresh off a win, Rutgers was a little bleak. We were we were down on Joe Girard, but he bounces back. He even makes a layup. He made a layup. We he did, did everything. He checked, checked all off. your
1: boxes. He he got the layup. He got the the, the three-point shot was going. His defense actually was, was pretty solid, too, I thought, at least from everything I saw. He was rebounding the basketball. He was facilitating. He played like a point guard in this game, Tim.
0: Yeah, and you know, Bayheim got on his soapbox after the game. I'll get on my soapbox. I'll say, I told you so. You know, Joe Girard bounced back him. I think I said twenty. We got on points. more than a
1: soapbox after the yeah. game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get into that because it was it was an all-time behind press conference. But no, I did feel like this was going to be kind of a bounce back effort from Girard, but to see him do it and then see the entire team just literally have an offensive explosion. I mean it was laughable at times how much they were beating up on Boston College. They get up by forty-eight at one point. And everyone in the starting lineup finishes in double figures. The two freshmen off the bench, Woody and Kadari, look pretty good. They finish just shy of double figures with nine. Marek plays a great game. Like, all these offensive ratings I'm looking at right now on Kempom, you know, that's kind of a fun stat to look at. We talked about during Rutgers, one guy was over the average offensive rating on Kempom at 100. Well, everyone's in 100 here. Everyone that could be eligible Really, Alan Griffin one eighteen, and he actually leads the team in scoring. He's
1: got twenty two points. The quote unquote team MVP per Ken Palm. They hand out an <laughs> MVP for every game, right. and it was of course Alan Griffin with a one eighteen rating, the, the lowest of anyone that that saw significant minutes. But it was just a well rounded effort because you look top to bottom, all all five of the the starters. Getting to double figures, and then you got Kadari and you got Woody, who, like you said, were knocking on the door with nine there. So just a to balance top to bottom. Everyone kind of played their role in this game. And that that's my biggest takeaway is everyone contributed to this win. Whether it was Alan Griffin hitting a, a bunch of threes. He goes six of nine from three in this game. You got Joe Girard, a great bounce back performance. He actually ends up with the highest offensive rating in this game. Buddy Beheim, we didn't know exactly what we'd be getting out of Buddy, but he came out and he performed pretty well. I mean, he started off hot. He hits those first two threes out of the gate, slows down a little bit after that. But for a guy who hasn't really practiced much in the past, what is it, two weeks or something, you you got a, a pretty decent performance out of him.
0: Yeah, he was good. I mean, I think even Beheim said, Coach Beheim, after the game, that he was surprised Buddy made those shots because in practice he was hitting nothing. And he talked about how right before he left, he hit 10 straight threes. And it does mean a lot getting him back in the lineup. And it'll also mean a lot getting Sidibe back in the lineup. That's the thing. I'm looking at seven guys that scored nine points at least in ACC competition on the road, albeit against a Boston College team who isn't very good, and also, I would say, played a very, very poor game. There's no denying that. But, you know, you always play the game of, was this Syracuse was way better than we think, or BC was way worse than we think? It probably, honestly, and this is usually the case, it falls somewhere in the middle. This was not just BC rolled over, though. I think Syracuse came out from the jump, ready to go. And I take a lot away from this resounding win, because... I don't think recent Syracuse teams necessarily had this gear. Now, they did do it to Georgia Tech in similar fashion last year. I was going to say, year, is
1: but, this their Georgia Tech game from a year ago? Like, are we? Good? But I feel much more confident in the offense this year than I think I did last year.
0: And it's seven guys. That, I think that's the difference is it's not just... Last year, that Georgia Tech game, I remember, it was Elijah first half, then it was Buddy second half because Elijah came out, hit like the first 15 points. He was just locked in and then Buddy, I think, had like 25 in the second half alone and was hitting all kinds of threes. That's when they exploded last year. This team just has another gear in terms of you've got Kadari, and then
1: Woody continues to look great out there. That's the thing is we have seen there is going to be an eighth guy that plays this year. There just is. There's no way to, to work around it at this point because when you look at the contributions that Woody Newton has said and the fact that... Jim Bayheim really hasn't said much negatively about him since, since he's been slotted in for the hand, not even handful of minutes, but he's getting the minutes he deserves. He's jumped Robert Braswell in the rotation, and by jumping Robert Braswell, there's a pretty hefty chasm in between where Robert Braswell is and where Woody Newton is, because that's the gap of guys who are not going to play once things really get going and guys who are going to play. Woody Newton has worked his way into the group of people that are going to play on this team. He plays solid defense. He knocks down his shots when he's asked to. And, I mean, I'm just thoroughly impressed with his poise and confidence. I remember the first possession I saw him play, I was like, oh, no. I hope he enjoyed running out there while he was out there because he's probably yeah. not going to get out there again the rest of the year. But, boy, has he proven me wrong from the one play I watched of him in the, the Niagara game, and he's he's looked awesome out there.
0: And there's something to be said that in the very early stages of that first game against Niagara, he hit an open three and just looked confident. I mean, he he has some confidence about him. I think Beheim has even talked about how he's not he's playing better than he is in practice, and that's a, a great problem to have or a great thing to have, I guess, because you don't.
1: He's often the kid see who goes, that. doesn't do his homework in school, and then somehow shows up to the tests and and gets an A. Like that—that's what he's doing right now.
0: It, it doesn't really make sense because all the reviews we heard from him in camp were he's going to be a little bit behind, not like redshirt bad, but just don't expect him to be in the lineup this year. Braswell, if anything, is ahead of him. Well, unfortunately, Braswell does play 11 minutes in this game, but I think you're spot on. Once Sidibe comes back, it's going to be 8. I don't expect it to go past 8 once we get into the thick of ACC play here. And Woody is definitely the 8, and it'd be a mistake to leave him out of the lineup at this point. The way he is playing on both ends of the floor, he looks great in the 2-3 zone. It's, it's
1: very promising to see what's going on there. I will say, if there's one thing I can nitpick at here in this game, and it's one of those things where, oh, it's a, a problem of riches right now, but when I look at what BC did on the offensive glass in this game, they had 11 offensive rebounds. This is a, a team that entered the game 269th in offensive rebounding percentage per Ken Palm. and this is a team that's also very small. You can get away with it against BC because not only that, but they didn't turn it into points with those second chances. They only had nine second chance points, but that's one thing that I'm going to be a little wary of is the rebounding out of this zone and. It's great. Alan Griffin had a double double in this game, but some of these other guys are going to need to step up with the boards a little bit more and making sure that you're you're getting to some of these big men. Because who is it? It was a uh, who the guy that James Carnick just came yeah. in and out of nowhere. It gets seven offensive rebounds in this game. I mean, he was destroying them. And if you think Carnick's going to be a problem, wait till UNC comes to town.
0: Yeah, and then Virginia and Florida State and Duke. I mean, I know some of these teams have been a little sluggish in the early goings, but they have size. I think you're you're onto something there. We talked about that on the preview show that this is a dream matchup for Syracuse. They feasted on guard-oriented teams last year. This is a guard-oriented team with a bad interior defense. And in Boston College, their defense looked terrible like in the first yeah, half. I mean, of the,
1: you know what my favorite part of this game was? is that, and and I don't know if everyone knows this, but the people who are on the call for the ESPNU broadcast, it was the Boston College radio guy. I think he does football radio for them. He used to do basketball radio for them too, I believe. John Meter Perel. But you could feel the defeat in his voice calling that game (laughs) because anytime Syracuse did something good, it was just like, and there's another bucket for Gary. But Anytime there was a, a meaningless three from from Win- Winston Tabs, it, it's just like it was a complete. You could tell that he had BC in his blood that entire time. And I'm not someone who likes to go and nitpick at the at the announcers. I I, I leave that for for the Twitter rights, But just listening to that, I I'm not criticizing it. I just found it comical.
0: Yeah, Winston Tabs was the only thing they had in the first half. It, it was really from a Boston College standpoint. If you're a fan of them, which my dad might be listening to this podcast. He's a BC grad. We always sort of go back and forth during these games, although I, I shouldn't even say that because Syracuse is dominated. It's, it's funny, actually. He is, I, I always, like, sort of joke with him, and we are talking about this after the game, that he always sends me Syracuse score updates. I don't know if your dad does this, but it's, like, constant. And it's almost like, all right, Dad, like, I'm watching the game. Like, I, I don't <laughs> need Sports center you are, for you. Yeah. yeah, like, mm-hmm. He's like 41-22, Syracuse, or when they're down to Clemson, he's like 44-7, Clemson's up in football, and I'm just like, okay, like, I get it. I don't need these, I'm watching it, I don't need you to text me right away. Well, it's funny, I think this is like the first game in the past two or three years, I did not get a single score update text from him, hmm. so, so, you know, I, I brought that up Very afterwards. curious. So that was convenient, and, and he, of course, said, oh, I was out? typing one, and, and my phone died. But yeah, he, he's a BC <laughs> grad, and I'm, I'm thinking... Well, there from you go. A,
1: you know what? You have to get him for Christmas now. you got to get him one of those charging cases, the, the Yeah,
0: And I'm sure it'll still conveniently go out when they play again in February if, if the result is, is somewhat similar here. But, I mean, from a BC perspective, they, they have this gauntlet of a schedule. I know they get Cal next. Maybe they can beat Cal, but every team remaining is a power conference team. They played one non-power conference team all year. It's Rhode Island, the only game they've won. And honestly, Rhode Island's basically a power conference team the way they've been playing, maybe a little bit down this year. But still, it's out of the Atlantic 10. That's a solid conference. So I, it's like, what are you doing, BC? Why, why are you playing such a tough schedule if that's the product you're going to put out there? But I know we're a Syracuse podcast, so we can stick to Syracuse. I just feel like BC has got major problems right now.
1: To get to what you were saying, was this a good a- Syracuse playing really well, or was this BC playing poorly? I think you're right. It is in the middle. We we talked about BC and saying maybe they're the most impressive one in four team there is heading into this one. Well, I, I, maybe that got taken out of perspective a little bit because by saying that, I think people's minds immediately shift to, oh well, okay, so they're basically a four and one team with a one in four record. No, 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 no. They're like a two and three team or a three and two team. They weren't a 4-1 team with a 1-4 record. There they were a lot of flaws, and, and those flaws definitely got exposed in this game against Syracuse. Most notably, the three-point shooting. I don't know what it is with that gym, but Syracuse, over the past five seasons, I crunched the numbers, at Conte Forum, is shooting 50% from three. Wow. I mean, how about that? They, they are absolutely lights out from distance. I Someone just always finds their stroke. And, and this game, it was Allen. I mentioned six for nine, and then you got Joe Girard going five of seven, and Buddy Beheim goes out and knocks down his first two. I mean, even Kadari Richmond hit a three in this game. So th- this is the get-right state. We talk about Syracuse being the get-right team for some of these teams that are struggling to hit the three ball. Connie Forms, the get-right venue for Syracuse, when, when they need to get their mojo back.
0: All right, guys, it's a busy time right now. You got a lot of things going on. The holiday season's coming up. You got to make plans for that, get your gifts, and work could be stressing you out a little bit, maybe things are moving quickly right now and you might feel like you're always on and it's go, go, go right now. Well, it's important that you hit the reset button and get away from that nonstop hustle and bustle a little bit. And when you do that, reach for a Coors Light, my favorite beer. Coors Light is the only beer out there that's literally made to chill and it is great for watching sports on the weekend, watching your favorite team just laying back on the couch, cracking open a Coors Light, Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink beer. It is Mountain Cold Refreshment. It is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you hit reset and just reach for a beer, reach for Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that is get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So, Gerard, the final numbers on him, 17 points in 27 minutes. He goes 5 for 7, like you said, from 3. He hits that one layup in transition. It was right at the start of the second Whoop half. So, 6 for 8 total from the floor in the game. 5 rebounds, 5 assists, still has 3 turnovers, and picks up 1 steal in the game. I I think it's fair to say he, he shouldn't be playing for Stony Brook. He, he shouldn't be playing for northeastern who now they have on on the schedule on wednesday by the way by the
1: way northeastern scoop scoop point jeff goodman yeah got that scoop (laughs) jeff goodman put him on the board he's got one
0: exactly so and and we'll probably get into northeastern at some point later on in the week here actually a decent team but we can talk about them later i I just think Gerard, this is the what we were talking about. He's gonna get hot some games, and some games those thirty footers are gonna be kind of fun because he's gonna make some of them. In other games, it's the full Gerard experience that we experienced last year. You're gonna be like, oh no, why are you shooting that thirty footer? And he he did have one like as a heat check after he had made five threes, and it's like so easy to say after he misses it, oh it's a terrible shot, and then he steps into one and drills, and it's like man, I, I guess. I guess he can make it when he's clicking, and that's what beheim said afterwards. He said, "To a thirty-footer, to him is a little bit different." Now, beheim also compared him to Clay Thompson, and and how Clay Thompson yeah, sort of a little off, compared. yeah, yeah, right. But I mean, I, I do think this proves what we were talking about. Yes, were, were we harsh on Gerard? Yes, were we critical of him? Yes, and I was worried. I think we all. But if were you weren't, worried, then your eyes extent. weren't
1: working. Like th- that yeah. the thing is you can be critical of someone but also know that it's not their best. And we knew that wasn't Joe Girard's best play. We saw what Joe Girard's best play looked like last year. Now, here's what happened in this game. I think Buddy Beheim makes a world of a difference for him out there because he spaces the floor. The looks that Joe got and I think Beheim even ta- Jim Beheim that is talked about this after the game, but just the way look at the the shots, the 30 footers that Girard took in this game versus the 30 footers that we've seen him taking all the other games so much more space, so much yeah. more room to operate. And when he gets that clean of a look, he's going to go five of seven from three. And we can expect to see those better shooting nights out of him. That's what happened in this game. He Buddy spaces the floor out for him. You throw out Allen as a compliment. I mean, Quincy is a bit of a threat now to shoot the three too. And then if you've got Woody Newton out there, you've got shooters all around. And That's something that Joe Girard is going to take advantage of when he is not swarmed, when he is not the focal point of this offense in terms of where the defense is going to line up and how they want to attack you. Because when Buddy's out there, I think he becomes shooting focal point number one. Somehow, I don't know why, but Alan Griffin is not the the number one focal point in this offense in terms of where the defensive attention lies. And I think... Maybe it should be because he's put up a a handful of 20-point games so far to open up the the year. Led the team in scoring the past three games. I mean, mean, sneaky kind of. Yeah, and he's probably going to lead the team in scoring if he can keep this going the way it is right now because we know Syracuse is going to score upwards of 80 a night. So you figure Allen's going to be a big chunk of that pie there, but... The, the way that Buddy influences the game, even without the ball in his hands, it, it helps out Joe. It helps out Allen. It helps out Quincy. It helps out every... It helps out all eight bodies that are going to be out there for Syracuse in any given game.
0: And that's why I thought Joe would bounce back. Boston College is just a much easier matchup for him. Rutgers has great guards. Rutgers was going to close out on his airspace a little bit more, as you were talking about with those 30-foot shots. But on Griffin... He's getting a lot of the possessions on Ken Palm. He has 30, 30% of possessions in this the game team, with yeah. him. Yeah, I think it was 35 last game against Rutgers, if I'm not mistaken. He's. I'm not saying he is Elijah Hughes or he's playing to the level of Elijah Hughes because we know he's got a little bit of a ways to go in efficiency and just sort of feel for the game. The I, turnovers I like,
1: are a little problematic.
0: Yeah, I I, I mean, it's goes back to him. game.
1: He's not a great facilitator. Like a lot of the passes that, or a lot of the turnovers that he makes when I see it, it's, it's him doing like a one-handed pass it's and something that's so avoidable. Yeah. Just it's fundamental basketball, pick it up and then make your pass. Think before you pass. And sure. He's going to have somewhere. He's going to make a, a really nifty one-handed pass, shovel pass, and then it's going to lead to an easy Marek dunk, but he's also going to turn the ball over three times because of it. So that's the the weights and balance. But he's been shooting the lights out from three. I mean, he's for all the questions that were out there of, will he be able to do it over a period of 30 to 35 minutes a night while well, he's shooting almost 44% from distance, and he's doing it in, in the bulk of the minutes that a, a traditional Syracuse guard is used to. He's definitely playing the Hughes
0: role, though. Like, just the way that, and this is kind of like one of the first times we saw Gerard playing well. And him and and Griffin and Beheim playing well on the court at the same time. And he did feel like he was doing the isolation stuff like Hughes used to do, and Bayheim and Gerard were then getting more space as shooters because of that. And he he does the backdoor cuts that really are eerily similar to Elijah sometimes, especially when Marek hits him, it's like, oh my gosh, this is last very year. Very heady a plays.
1: Bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very crafty. He's he's got Maybe the highest basketball IQ on the team. It's between him and Marek, probably. But he just knows how to get open at all times, wherever he is on the floor. He can get open and set up a three in the corner. He can get open on a backdoor cut. He can even get open off a screen or something like that. He, he the, Watch the way that Alan Griffin works off the ball in some of these games. It's spectacular. And that's why he's going to get all these open looks. And he, he probably gets the easiest buckets out of most players on the team.
0: Yeah, and he shoots some tough shots. I think the good news is he's led the team in scoring the past three games. He's been above 20 points the past three games. He's not a finished product by any means. Like, he has a lot of room to improve and iron out this offense. And then it's going to get tougher for him when he goes against some of these really good teams. Like, Rutgers kind of shut him down for the first half. And maybe that was just jitters of first big game, ACC Big Ten Challenge. But he was off in the first half. He figured it out, though, and I think, I mean, three straight games at 20-plus points, he's peaking or he's getting to that level of potential MVP of the team a little bit earlier than even I envisioned as someone who was pretty high on him.
1: Right. I mean, he, he's picked up. He, you heard when we had Tristan Kizik on, who who covers the Illini, he talked about how he was a fan favorite, and I think if Alan Griffin, if there are fans in the stands right now, You'd be seeing a lot of love for Alan Griffin because he's just been that spectacular. One thing I want to rehash a little bit with Gerard the, the whole Gerard and Kadari Richmond conversation. And I, I'm not going to say it's clear who's played better because, listen, Gerard has played fewer good games than I think Kadari Richmond's had. But I do think it gets down to the trust of what Gerard's role is. And Gerard's role. When, when you've got Buddy Beheim out there and you've got Alan Griffin and Quincy's, I mean, th- this is the thing that sucks about this team, all right, is that there's so many great offensive pieces that we never end up talking about Quincy Garrier. And he has been the <laughs> yeah. best, the most efficient offensive player on the team. He's in the top 70 on Ken Palm in offensive rating. I mean, he has, by metrics, been the best offensive player on this team. And we never say a word about him. So You're right. We do, like, we're
0: 20 I minutes like, in.
1: Yeah. I feel like we have to designate a, a day, one day a week, because we don't talk about him at all during the, the game recaps, even though he's rock solid every game. But we need to he's say like so Thursdays good. are Thursdays are like Quincy Thursdays. And we just go into everything that we liked about Quincy Garrier that we couldn't say on the other shows because he just becomes an afterthought. Because, hey, you don't even think about it. You just kind of expect it. And I don't know if I've ever seen a player in college basketball w- go from someone who... I mean, Quincy was kind of a liability, well, not kind of a liability, he was a liability defensively last year, and now he's just rock solid, he can fly around on defense, he looks healthy, he's an asset for you on offense, and he rebounds the ball pretty well too, so it, it's, and he's a, an unbelievably polished around the rim right now, I think that's the thing that may be the most impressive to me, so it's all this stuff, and we don't even talk about it, because we just don't, we run out of time quite frankly. Yeah, he also had so, zero
0: fouls in this game. That's so awesome. I know right. it's BC and, and it helped the game flow and everything, but still that's huge for
1: him. But anyway, Gerard, when he is out there and he can play like a point guard, that's when he's at his best. We saw him facilitating in this game. He had the five assists. We saw him just get open looks because he was playing like a point guard in this game. He just, when he's bringing up the ball, he's, he's just, I feel like he's in a different headspace. You know what I mean? Because he views the game as a point guard as opposed to he views the game that I have to be the primary scorer. And that's the Buddy effect. That's what Buddy Beheim being out there on the floor brings to this team. It absolutely changes the dimensions. And that's why you see this team go out and put up 100.
0: Yeah, I would also say on Kadari, I would add him to, when you were talking about earlier, the high IQ players on this team, he might be right up there already, even as a freshman. Yeah. Just the Mm -hmm. way he kind of gets his hands-on passes at the top of the zone, his vision on the other side on offense, and the steals, again, he has four steals in this game. Past four games now, he's had at least three steals. So basically the four games of the five this year that he has played, you know, significant minutes and has been at least 20 minutes or more in the games, three of those he started, he has had, I think, three steals in the first game he played and then four, five, four in the last three. He might, like, legit be right up there in the top 5 or 10 in the ACC in steals per game, and he might only play 20 minutes a game this year once you get it's, into ACC
1: play. It's so nice because, you know what, we, we had our offensive eyeballs tortured for the entirety of football season. And isn't it nice to finally root for offense? It, it, it's just kind of a sign of the times, too. Both football, basketball, good offense beats good defense now. I mean, frame it any way you want. Good offense beats good defense these days in both of those sports. I don't care what anyone says. Look look at the teams that are successful these days. Good offense beats good defense. And we're seeing it in football. We're seeing it in basketball now. And Syracuse's offense in football was atrocious. We, we've we outlined that time and time again. And that's why they were a 1-10 in 10 team. Meanwhile, you look at this Syracuse basketball team. Their offense is one of the best in the country. One of the best that I've seen and you and I watch a ton of college basketball. Syracuse is probably one of the top 5 to 10 offenses I've seen. And I'm not even kidding about that. They've been that effective. And that's why they are a 4-1 team. Is Sure, there's been some gimmies in there, but they are playing an unbelievable style of offense right now. And if you can sustain that, this team could be very dangerous. Can you imagine, and I totally agree with you, but...
0: Even go back three years, even that uh, Sweet Sixteen Michigan State year. Mm-hmm. How much the amount of if we were doing the podcast then, the amount of complaining about isolation ball and Beheim doesn't have offensive sets. That was the whole temperature around the team was offense, offense. It stinks. Like we can't get into any flow. It's dribble, dribble, pass to Frank, dribble, dribble, pass to Tyus, and then laying the shot clock. He gets into an isolation set and chucks up a long two or something, and we were getting and then you so pray you win of 61
1: to 58
0: yeah like it's amazing we got a defensive-minded coach and, and they put up 101 on the road in conference play and it's like it's surprising sure because i mean they were only three-point favorites on vegas in this game they blew that out of the water i think it may have gone i hope you took some
1: bit. of that i know i, I, I took a little bit of that yeah yeah it, it
0: was it was nice to have that going our way as well during the game um I I was baffled by that line. I think I said that during the preview podcast, and I honestly, it's such hindsight bias, but I should have said that they were going to win by more. I just didn't want to totally jinx it. I think I said they'd win by 10, and I mean, I I figured they'd win this game. It would have shocked me if they lost, but here, that's easy to say now.
1: Real quick, I got to tell you about the best protein bar on the market. That, of course, is Built Bar with new flavors seemingly coming out all the time, including one of my new favorites is the caramel brownie and the cookies and cream, both of which I recently got through Built Bar. They are awesome. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to choose. And the best part of all of this is that even though it tastes like a candy bar, They are healthy for you. They're perfect if you're trying to maintain weight, lose weight, whatever. Built Bar is the way to go. Just take the peanut butter brownie for a second here. 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and only 5 grams of net carbs. That's what you're getting with Built Bar. You're getting a delicious reward for your workout while also making a super healthy choice as well. And right now, Built Bar, a new offer for you here. For fans of the Locked On Syracuse podcast and the rest of the Locked On podcast network, go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. BiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, all one word, and you will get 20% off your next order.
0: Now that the the conversation around this team kind of gets into how good can they be, and how high is their ceiling? And I think it's easy to jump to conclusions. We're fresh off a, a blitzing here, and it's the tendency is to overreact off of a game like this. I would say they still have to prove it against the, the tough front courts in the ACC, the good rebounding teams. Barama is still a concern for me, getting him back because that's such an integral part when you go against bigger teams. But at this point in the season, basically every player is stock up Except for Joe, and he's trending up after the game against BC. And I guess Buddy, you can't really say stock up, but that's not really Buddy's fault. He just you know I can. Quarantine. I
1: think you can because yeah. I think the way that he has impacted this game, the the team, even when when he's not having a, a scorching hot game, like he was solid against BC. And I think we maybe overreacted a bit to the the two early threes, but the way that he lifts everyone else up is what was important to me.
0: Yeah. So anyway, where do you see this team in the ACC conversation at this point? Because I'm getting to the point where I think I had them five or six. I can't remember exactly going into the year, but you know, Clemson's look good. So you got to kind of readjust a little bit of this, but Duke has looked really bad. I-, I think they could play their way into the top five conversation. Now that sort of stars align. Don't, you know, don't run to the bank with that. If you're a Keys fan and say, Oh, like these guys think that they're going to be a top five ACC team. But I do think there's a conversation to be had now. They're playing that well. And when they look good, they look that
1: good. So Ken Palm right now has them as the eighth best team in the ACC. However, all eight of those teams are smushed into the top 27 in the entire country Syracuse they get a bump all the way from 41 to 27 after that win against Boston College. So, pretty pretty solid leap right there. I think it was However,
0: 43, but or the 43, well, same e- thing.
1: Yeah, e- even still. So, they're they're taking a solid leap there. I will say The way that I've seen Duke play, I get that their losses are to good teams, but they've looked bad this year. They've looked flat out awful this year. Their wins are against Coppin State and Bellarmine, neither of which were impressive margins, if I'm remembering correctly, either. So I I think Syracuse has played better than Duke this year. I don't think they've played better than Florida State. I think there's an argument to be made that they've been better than Virginia, and I, I don't think you can say they've been better than Clemson or Louisville, and I do think definitively you can say they've been better than UNC. So based really? off of that, I, I'm i looking at a Syracuse team that is fifth, but they've jumped teams. And I think that's the important thing right now is we were that's the big question we had. How many teams can Syracuse leap? And obviously getting Alan Griffin's waiver was going to be one of the big components of that in deciding how much of a, a jump they could take this year. But when I look at how this team has played... So far, and again, small sample, five games, only one conference game. But I look at a team that has made leaps and has gotten better every single game. And I don't think you can deny that. I don't know if it's the fact that they've just been practicing more consistently now or what, but they have gotten better every single game. And this is as good of a we have we, that we have seen a Syracuse team after five games in at least the last half decade.
0: Yeah, it's easy to jump to... That type of conversation, but I think you're you're right. This team has a little more pop. They're deeper than the recent teams, and they've got some new pieces that still could progress. Like Kadari, we don't know what he's going to end up being. Alan Griffin, as I said, is just kind of scratching the surface, which is sort of odd to say because he's leading the team in. He's scoring your leading right
1: scorer now. on a team yeah. that scores like eighty points a night.
0: And Marek is a senior, so you'd think that he can't really expand his game much more. But, I mean, again, Marek could fall into the Quincy category if we don't talk about him enough. He was great in this game, and he almost has a triple-double. Like, he kind of flirted with it for a little bit. Quincy is still kind of scratching the surface a little bit. And the defense is really ultimately what will take them into a different conversation. If they can get those pieces right defensively, I see this team... Beating up on a lot of teams like a Boston College in conference play, the teams that are guard-oriented, the teams that don't have much size, and the teams that aren't very good. Like, they're going to take care of business because their offense is so good that it's it's kind of hard for them to lose to a Notre Dame who is just doesn't have many shot-makers or doesn't have a guy that can beat them down low this year, per se. But... I. I still worry a little bit about the UNC's and the Dukes and and those teams that just are traditionally bad matchups for us.
1: That yeah, that's that's a good point with, with the the teams that can bring size to the table. And again, I when I say Syracuse, at least from what I've seen so far, is better than UNC. That doesn't necessarily mean that in a head to head, I'm taking Syracuse yeah. because. I mean, some things have to play out. I still want to see a little bit more, see a little more of what Buddy is, but UNC is a big oriented team. I think the matchup there probably favors UNC, but Syracuse has looked better so far this season, and I don't think anyone can deny that. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's early still, and and I'm really happy that Syracuse is getting this Northeastern game on Wednesday. I think that's You just want to get more game action for a guy like Buddy who's sat out a little bit and maybe gain a little more experience for guys like Kadari and Woody who can get going and then maybe have a little more confidence once ACC play gets into its full swing. So listen, there's some really bad teams in the ACC and there's some really good teams in the ACC that you're going to face this year. And I really think Syracuse is definitely... we, We always talked about can they be in the top half of the ACC. I think now we're starting to... To slice that pie a little bit, I think it's a conversation of can they be in the top third of the ACC?
0: Yeah, I agree, and they still haven't really beat anyone. I mean, we should acknowledge that the, their wins on Kempom rankings yeah. is two thirty three, two sixty four, two sixty two, and now BC falls to ninety seven. And I will say them jumping to twenty seven on Kempom. My one critique with Kempom, one of my favorite websites, is the blowout wins really give your team a huge, huge boost. And I get it because like a blowout win should mean more than just winning by five points on the road at Boston college. But for them to go from 43 to 27 after one game that they were supposed to win is, is a little crazy in my eyes. I think right now they're probably more like a, in the 35 spot, but they're going to start receiving votes. If they, if they take care of business this week, you got Northeastern Buffalo and then you've got Notre Dame at home on December 22nd, by the time the Monday after that rolls around, they will definitely be flirting with the top 25, well, and maybe even in, if, if they win all three of those games.
1: So we're recording this on a Sunday night, and we don't know if they what, what the polls are going to look like when they come out in the morning. But do you think they're going to receive any votes this week?
0: Maybe a couple,
1: yeah. Because I think they'll I think receive did, a couple.
0: Yeah, it did get some national attention. Like Jeff Goodman, who we gave a point to earlier, he was tweeting, man, like Syracuse won by 38 at Boston College. I don't think Boston College is good. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, Syracuse, that's an impressive win. I mean, they won 101-63 to in a conference game. That gets some national that doesn't attention happen. for sure.
1: No, yeah, yeah. It, except maybe in like the Big East. Maybe that happens in the Big East. I don't know. Um, but no, it, it's, it's a super... I won't say a super impressive, but it's you can't say it's not an impressive win. The margin of victory, you're doing it on the road and you're doing it in conference against a team that you're going to get again this year. So, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing once they get into the meat of their their ACC schedule. And again, that might we'll, we'll see because we do have when when you look at the schedule, it's a favorable matchup against Notre Dame, like we like we've alluded to. It's at home, guard oriented Notre Dame team you're going to take care of. Then you've got Wake Forest. Another guard, or, or I shouldn't say guard-oriented team, but just
0: the,
1: Wake Forest is coaching change they're not and good. everything. Yeah. They're not good. I think they're the worst team per Ken Palm out of the ACC. Um, they're outside the top 120. In fact, you're probably getting a better matchup against Buffalo than you are getting against Wake Forest. And then, boom, you go UNC, Florida State, Clemson. Those are your next three ACC games. Those are not going to be easy.
0: No. Yeah, Clemson's look good so far, for sure. All right, well, we'll wrap it here for our Monday episode. We're here with you guys every single weekday. You can subscribe to the show so you get our podcast delivered right into your favorite podcast Oh, wait, real provider. quick. We, we didn't yeah. say
1: anything about the, the Jim Beheim press conference. That's oh an all-time Gosh, I, I don't know right. if we need to say much, but if, if you had a bingo board, you, you probably filled the entire board, and yeah. we went in thinking that we were getting a, a Coach K defense statement, and then... We got way more than we bargained for. So I can't believe I forgot um, about that. I that I, was that's, that was an all-timer. That gives me oxygen
0: the Jim Bayheim press conferences as you you always joke about with me. But no, we'll we'll get into that a little bit with Zuba tomorrow, I bet. Maybe we'll have some fun with that. Yes. We're having James Zuba on tomorrow for for anyone that uh that knows his work over at uh, Noon's magician, one of our favorite guys covering Syracuse basketball. So We will chat with him tomorrow, and we'll probably get into some recruiting as well on the back half of that conversation. Syracuse in the mix for a five-star, kind of a recent guy. I know a lot of people have been sort of tweeting about us, like, when are you going to talk about Huntley Hatfield? We will get to that uh, with James Zuba tomorrow on that episode. That's our plan. So we'll have that for you tomorrow, and and thanks for listening today, and we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday.